0: Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Um, thanks uh, for the opportunity to come along and speak um, with you uh, tonight and to open open God's Word. Um, for those who might not be that familiar with this passage, it's really the background of the movie Prince of Egypt. Um, so uh, where, 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 where God uh, calls this guy called Moses to um go and release uh, people from his people, God's people from slavery in Egypt. Uh, but before we get into that um, uh, I want to talk with you and uh, and say at the outset that um, it doesn't take long for a mother to get used to the sound of her child um, I've had that with my own daughters that as, uh, I can be there having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee at their place and um, it seems before I've even heard anything, before my uh, older ears have kicked in, uh, Catherine's gotten up and she's going through the living room. She says, oh, Evie's crying and she's heard it and I haven't picked up on it at all. It's a natural thing for a mother in particular Um, but certainly uh, a father as well, uh, to hear and to recognise the cry of their own child. Uh, It's just a normal thing. Um, What we might not realise is that when, as a parent, we respond to the cry of our children, um, we're being like God, because God hears us when we cry. Um, God hears people when they cry out in desperation. Um, God listens to them and um, especially when the people who cry out are poor or vulnerable or oppressed or downtrodden in some way, God has a particular heart for people who call out to him uh, in that context. Uh, People uh, like uh, Elizabeth, I don't have a photograph of Elizabeth but I can tell you Her story. Elizabeth was the oldest of seven children in a uh, devout uh, Christian home in India. And one day someone said to Elizabeth and her family, uh, Come to where we live, come to this city nearby. We will give you a job, you'll be able to earn money, and you can send it home to your parents and to your family and and help them because, well, they, they were certainly not well off. Uh, But there never was a job and all there was was a con. Uh, All there was was deceit and Elizabeth was uh, trafficked on the basis of that promise into prostitution uh, where she was held for uh, a number of years and every day, uh, numerous times she was uh, abused and violated. And in her desperation... Uh, she would often ask the other girls in, in that brothel to pray with her. Um, let's, let's call out to God together, Elizabeth would say, coming from that strong background of belief and faith. And all the other girls would mock her and they would say, Elizabeth, give up, give up. You're in a brothel. God is not going to hear you. God doesn't care about people who are in a brothel. But they didn't bank on the fact that the God that we worship tonight, the God of the Scriptures, is a God who hears the cry of the downtrodden. And uh, Elizabeth never lost hope. She just kept calling out to God for justice. And God did hear her cry. And he sent an IJM rescue team uh, to free her from that uh, abhorrent place. And when the team entered the room, they found that she'd written something on the wall. And we uh, probably won't be able to read that, uh, but I can read it to you in English. This is what it says. It's Psalm 27, first few verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. God heard the cry of Elizabeth. But it's not only Elizabeth, and that's uh, the drama and the confronting challenge for us tonight because it turns out that there are 40.3 or thereabouts million people, million people in slavery today uh, in all sorts of different contexts. That's, that's more people uh, than there have ever been in slavery before at any other time in history. That's more people... Uh, than all of the people who were transported out of West Africa into the Caribbean or the UK or Europe during the transatlantic slave trade. 40 million people. And God hears their cry too. He hears uh, every desperate heart. He hears every broken spirit. He hears every cry for justice. Uh, every child in a rock quarry uh, god hears every single one of them and the proof of that is in the passage that Emily read before in Exodus chapter 3 and you'll see it on the screen in front of you from verse 7 we read there the lord said now this is this is god this is yahweh this is the creator god he said i have indeed seen the misery of my people in egypt I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. Now that's, that, that's a great encouragement to us because I, 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 I don't know you, I don't know your context, I don't know your history, but it could be that there are people here tonight that um, in the last day or two have found themselves crying out to God in desperation, um, have found themselves crying, have found themselves burdened with with whatever it might be that they're burdened with. You need to understand that God hears you. God hears your cry. God knows what's going on. And it concerns him. This is the God we've seen all through the Scriptures. Right at the beginning, in the book of Genesis, we have this Um, this rivalry between Cain and Abel, the two sons of, or two of the sons of Adam and Eve. Uh, And if you know that story, you know that it ends with the death of Abel. And and God says then, Genesis 4, he says, I have heard the blood, the cries of Abel have risen to me um, from the ground. God hears the cry of the oppressed. And in Psalm 10, Uh, just another voice of God saying the same thing. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed. This is the God we worship. This is our God. This is our God. And one of the greatest privileges we have at International Justice Mission is to, in the name of God, bring freedom to those who are in slavery. And um, that slavery can take many forms. Uh, there's uh, some uh, material on the chairs near you. The, uh, this this little card, which I'll get to later, uh, that references the bonded labour slavery that we see in in uh, in India, in particular, uh, where people work 18 hours a day, and they. Uh, depending on the context, let's say it's a rock quarry, they live in the quarry, they marry in the quarry, they give birth in the quarry and uh, unless they're rescued, they will die in the quarry and, and no one sees them, no one hears them except the God who hears the cry for justice. Slavery can take the form in the Philippines, for example, of, uh, of online sexual exploitation, uh, little kids placed in front of a phone or a computer or a tablet. Uh, for the uh, sexual deprivation of someone most likely in Australia or America or in the UK. There's slavery of children in that regard. There's uh, the slavery of cross-border trafficking in places like Cambodia where people are are smuggled across the border and uh, rendered stateless. No one hears them, no one sees them, no one cares for them and they're put to work on fishing boats Uh, They're locked in cages when they're given shore leave and it can go on for year after year after year after year. There's uh, the slavery of police abuse of power in Kenya. Uh, There's the violent trafficking of um, girls into prostitution in the Dominican Republic. You see, slavery has so many forms but its common method of operation is to target the poor and the vulnerable, people that uh, others think nobody's going to care about, no one to defend them, no one to see them. But when they cry out, God hears. God hears their cry. He hears them every time. And IJM is doing whatever we can to bring freedom to people like Elizabeth, uh, to the people in the quarries, to the kids in front of cameras. Uh, In fact, in the last 20 years, uh, we've been able to free towards 50,000 people from slavery. Um, And we do that by uh, having investigative teams that um, generally, that sometimes can work undercover, but they work alongside the police and... Uh, They find out where these people are and they do their investigations and their preparations Uh, and they'll mount a rescue operation. The police will be with us, Um, social workers will be with us Um, and we'll take those people out of that situation and we'll place them in loving and restorative aftercare facilities And we'll keep them there as long as we need to keep them there so that they can rebuild their lives and understand what it means to be people who live in freedom. Uh, And while that's happening, we will take the perpetrators of that slavery through the courts and our legal teams will prosecute them. Uh, And we will want to see them go to jail, we will want to see that cycle broken. Because the last thing we want is to rescue people out of a situation of slavery and put them back on the street and they're recaptured by the same people. Okay? So we, we have to break the cycle and the best way to do that is to work with governments as we do to restore their justice systems so that they work the way they should work and that the poor and the vulnerable are protected in the way that they should be protected. We rescue, we restore, we restrain and we repair. And from our point of view, we've been powerfully encouraged and we are encouraged every week as we hear stories of these, um, these uh, situations of rescue. And uh, as uh, was pointed out in the clip, these, um, so the success of the transformation that we're bringing into communities uh, that we can protect people, we're powerfully encouraged by that. And we're encouraged to know that that happens because God hears the cry of the oppressed but the really good news is that God doesn't only see and he doesn't only hear and he doesn't only show concern about slavery uh, we worship a God who acts we worship a God who is involved in his world he's not just you know some uh, celestial being out there on in some you know, distant universe uh, casually observing what's happening on on this blue planet. Um, He's a God who's involved in his world. Uh, He's involved through you and through me. He's a God who lives in us through his son and through his spirit poured into us. We worship a God who acts. And again, we see that in this passage in Exodus chapter three in verses uh, seven and eight. The Lord said, as we've read before, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now the best way uh, for us to understand those words, I have come down when God says them, is... For me to tell you a little bit about my family, when I was a kid, Uh, we lived in a little place uh, over the range called Portland, uh, near Lithgow. Uh, My dad was uh, a chemist, an analytical chemist in that industry, and he did the quality control work uh, that basically um, provided the uh, cement that built Sydney. That's that's what the town says. We're the town that built Sydney. (laughs) It's probably. Not very true, but, you know, it's a good thing to say, I suppose. It makes them feel good about themselves. But anyway, Dad would come home from work. He would walk, walk the three miles or the the, the five or so Ks uh, from uh, his uh, workplace and he would um, come home. And we knew that when Dad came home, what he wanted to do most of all was just to grab a cuppa and sit in the chair and have a bit of a break for 15 or 20 minutes. And as kids, we knew, don't disturb Dad. Don't mess with Dad's cuppa time. And as Obedient kids, of course, we always did that. Not true. Uh, we knew that the worst thing at that particular time of the day was to uh, get Dad out of his chair before he was ready to do so. Um, and it's, it's that image of uh, I, am, I am so sick of what's going on here that I have to do something that, that describes our God here. Um, I've seen their suffering, I've heard their cry. I'm concerned about them and, I, and I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm getting out of my chair. I'm going to get up and do something about this slavery. We even read about that in, in Psalm 12 uh, on the screen. Uh, because this is God speaking about himself, because the poor are plundered and the needy grown. I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those malign them? God is a God who gets out of his chair to stop the impunity of those who would put people into slavery, of those who would break the hearts and the souls of uh, of little children, of those who would stack those bricks. I didn't get the time to count how many bricks was on the head of that lady in the brick facility. God will not tolerate that for any length of time and he will get involved in his world and do something about it. Our God is a God who acts. And the challenge for us today in 2019 is um, that whilst God is a God who acts, he only has one plan, he only has one particular way that he does act to bring an end to this slavery. And again, it's, it's here in this passage. We read numerous times about what God sees, about what he hears, um, about uh, his concern for what's going on. But only once do we read what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. And again, uh, it's on your screen. The cry of the Israelites says the Lord has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So... Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses, I'm sending you, I'm going to do it, but I'm sending you to be my mouthpiece and the bringer of freedom, the liberator, the rescuer of my people. So that's, that's how this passage rolls Uh, The people are crying out for justice. God hears them. God acts and he's sending you and me to do it. Now, you might say, just a sec. Um, Moses, last time we checked, lived uh, thousands of years before the birth of Jesus. Um, And this whole incidence with the burning bush is not something that regularly happens in our garden. Um, So... Um, How can you be so sure that this specific called Moses actually applies to us? Fair question. Well, it would be a fair question if it was the only place that we saw God acting this way to choose one person or a number of people to do something to bring justice uh, for others, but it turns out um, all through the scriptures we hear this call, and we, we don 't have time to go through for me to go through a, a whole stack of passages to show you that um, but just just let me say this that um, every major and minor prophet And so they're the prophets that in the English language and in the English Bible we call the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, Amos, Micah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, etc, etc, etc. All, every single one of them, the major and minor prophets, all of them call rulers to account for not standing up for the weak and the vulnerable and the widow and the oppressed. All of them do that without exception. And... If you take what the Hebrews called uh, the former prophets, uh, like the the big books of Kings and Chronicles and Samuel, you get the same thing. You get all of those bits and pieces like David, um, the king who had all power and all authority, abusing his power and putting um, Bathsheba's husband Uriah in the front line of battle so that he would die and he could have her. God is always calling rulers to account for their abuse of power uh, and for how they were not standing up for the oppressed and the weak. So um, this is my unofficial and totally anecdotal research. Um, I reckon if you took every chapter out of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that uh, either called God's people to to, uh, seek justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly, Um, or that uh, called rulers to account for what they should have been doing for the weak and the poor and the vulnerable, um, or um, called the New Testament people of God to live lives of righteousness, right lives, lives that are putting God's purposes back together in the world. If you took all of those chapters out of the Bible, you'd only have about maybe um, that much Bible left, or maybe that much Bible left, maybe half of your Bible. And in fact, you get rid of Jesus altogether because Jesus, when he started his ministry, uh, Emily read these words at the start of our service tonight. Um, This is Jesus' ministry manifesto. He gets into the synagogue in Nazareth. um, They give him the scroll and he goes very, very specifically to the place where these words are written. And we read them in Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And that's Luke 4. And then Luke 5 is uh, things like the calling of Levi, this outcast, this covenant despising infidel. Uh, uh, Jesus calls him into his uh, group of 12 disciples. Uh, And restores him to faith. We read about the healing of the paralysed man. We read about the healing of a demon-possessed man. And so we see Jesus start to do the very things that he says he would do in Luke 4. We see it again and again and again, all through the Gospels in the New Testament. And of course, the greatest sign of all, uh, that justice really matters to Jesus, is in the cross and the resurrection. Because uh, Jesus died to defeat every force, Uh, that binds us and oppresses us, Uh, isn't the greatest force and actually the greatest cause of any oppression in the world the the separation of of human beings from God. Jesus died to put an end to that. Uh, So justice matters to him. Uh, His own death on the cross was in that one act, it was at the same time the greatest injustice Because this innocent son of God was put to death for the sins of other people, like you and me. And it was the greatest statement of justice. God saying, I love you so much that I'm going to deal with your spiritual condition by sending my son to the cross. God cares about justice. And Jesus' death and rising, his rule and his ultimate return is... Our proof And as uh, people who belong and are part of a group of uh, followers of Jesus, part of a church, I mean, part of our comfort, isn't it, that, that God has poured his spirit into the church so that they might follow his decrees, that they might follow the way that he calls them to live, that they might be his new community, his new society, to show what life is really like in his world. That's what Paul says in Romans 6 Um, on the screen. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as in the same way as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's Paul's way of saying we are different people now, followers of Jesus. God is doing something in our lives so that his life is seen in the world. So that the world might know that there's a God who cares, there's a God who listens. And when people are squashed and crushed and oppressed with the evil and the violence of other people, God cares powerfully about that. So we may well be overwhelmed uh, with the prevalence and the magnitude of slavery today and that there are 40 million people crying out but the entire bible and the person of Jesus and his mission tells us that our God is a God of justice it's right through the scriptures in the words of the great theologian Dennis DeNuto he says it's the vibe it's it's the law it's the bible it's just the vibe it's everything about what God says it's making things right, calling his people to live lives of justice and rightness. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.